everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. I want to tell you about Doing Justice, a new podcast from Cafe Studios. It's about a prosecutor's role in our justice system and is hosted by former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. Wait, I know him. <laughs> the show asks if we should allow an elected official to run for re-election while under investigation. It follows a sex worker who was robbed and gets her day in court. Preet explores the key elements of cases from the unique perspective of the prosecutors grappling with urgent moral and legal questions. Subscribe to Doing Justice wherever you're listening now. This is Jen from Yardley, Pennsylvania. Do what the cool kids do and get exclusive podcasts and more at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, just like I do. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, TV. And this week, she's left a trail of dead husbands, two of her children are missing, and she's obsessed with the end of the world. We'll talk about the new Dateline NBC podcast, Mommy Doomsday. Then, Danish police investigate the possible murder of a journalist on a homemade submarine whose body was dumped in the ocean. We'll review the Scandi docudrama, The Investigation. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and love of my life who watches Scandi Noir with me, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Talk. Also, <laughs> talk. Thank you. Yeah. Right, right. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, resident cat lady, and yes, an actual fucking certified pet detective, Laura Bricker. <laughs> Hello, Laura. Good evening, Rebecca. I guess my rule of not swearing in the first five minutes of the podcast is out, out the, the fucking window. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, which is about UFOs, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, guys, here we are. Uh, this podcast drops March 1st. Mm -hmm. Kevin, you and I, I think, returned from a vacation on March 1st of last year and have yeah. not left the house since. Pretty much. So we are pretty much the at the- 13th of March, yeah. Yeah, but we're like at the year anniversary of only seeing each other and eating shit from our freezer. Right. How is it? Well, also the <laughs> pandemic and the grief and, you know, all the things that go with it. Laura, how are you doing a year in to our new lifestyle that we're probably going to be living for at least another year? Well, it's interesting. I've kind of, I think I've relaxed into it, but it took me a year to relax into yeah. it. So I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle this week. I'm making bread. I'm taking walks. I'm doing yoga. It's, uh, I think I'm really in like pandemic times. Wow. Uh, how are you doing, Toby? Uh, I, you know, whatever. Can't complain. <laughs> it's uh, it's harder on the kids. I mean, it, it really yeah. is. I mean, I think it's, you know, having a teenager right now and sort of the social isolation and, and, and stuff like that, I think it's really tough. So, you know, that's tough, but you can't complain. We've been healthy. I've had a chance to do a lot of work and, uh, I'm not going to regret it when this ends and we can get back to normal, though. That's for sure. Yeah. Kevin, we've been talking about one sort of theme about the pandemic that I really feel like we are very fortunate in. Yeah. We don't hate each other. Oh, yeah. Could you <laughs> imagine? Oh, yeah. You quit your job at the same time we got back from our vacation, remember? Right before yep. we got. So it's been a year since you've been, you would have been at home anyway. But the plan was. I was going to be going to work every day, and you were just going to be here working on our podcast. I've spent step. zero days working home by myself. Well, you and I were alone. We in the lockdown the day I was supposed to start working. From that's home. right. Yeah. That's right. So now, how do you feel with me wandering into your office every day, several times a day, to talk to you about <laughs> random things that you don't feel like talking about? How's that going for you? It uh, could be better. <laughs> you almost had it all, Kevin. I almost had it all. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's, yeah. It feels like a song. That does sound like a song. It is a song. It? <laughs> it is a song. <laughs> it is. I'll tell you one thing that's funny that happened this week. And Kevin, I don't want to air our journey laundry too much. I'll just give the broad brush strokes. All right. Kevin uh, likes to start work a little bit later in the morning and then he likes to work until like seven-ish, like usually, right? And I, uh, sometimes my job, my day job, like I am waiting for the COVID numbers to come in or I'm still editing stories or something. So I work late. So Kevin, the other day, he finished working at like 7.15, 7.30. He comes walking in where I'm working and he's like, so do you want, just want me to take care of dinner from now on? And I'm like, what? Is this the 1950s? I object to the tone in which you told that story. <laughs> the tone in which you attributed my dialogue. No, I knew. I know you did not mean it that way. It's just how it was received. Well, I could have complained and said, you're not cooking dinner. But instead, I thought to myself, hey, I'm a modern guy. Perhaps I'm the one who should be cooking dinner. But it dinner. came out like, hey, there's no food available for me the minute I'm done working. So get on it, lady. Get on it. Not true. I wasn't done working. <laughs> she made a bolognese last week. I saw yeah. it. I made Quite, uh... a bolognese Monday and a homemade roast chicken on Tuesday and like a blue apron on Wednesday. Tonight, we had leftovers. It's fine. Well, we're going to be fine. All right. You we're... guys, I have one food thing to say before we go to our actual show. Sure. I have to say, out of all the things that I've ever been interested in that people have gravitated to on our Facebook page, the air fryer has taken on a life of its own. <laughs> no. And I get people like sending me messages, emails. I, I should mention I brought the air fryer on vacation with me. We need an air fryer sponsor. I know. I think we do. Endorsement would it's... be so strong. Like people are telling me they're buying air fryers because of me. No, nope. we have a whole, we're trading recipes. You're I'm a telling taste you, maker. It's insane. And so thank you to all the air fryer love out there. Never, never, ever, ever. Just fry it, guys. Just fry it. Anytime I think of air fryers, I think of Mike Huckabee for some reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Toby, I made Brussels sprouts last night in the air fryer. Oh, stop. Very good. That's should we, not an advertisement. Should we just start a podcast now? How about it? Leading off. Kay and Larry Woodcock hadn't seen or heard from their grandson, JJ, in months. We had no idea what was going on. Nothing. We knew nothing. It, it was, where's JJ? Where's JJ? Where's JJ? Where was he? When police conducted a welfare check on Lori Vallow's children, the mom made a convincing show that the children were out of state. Daughter Tyree at college and JJ, her son with special needs, was visiting a friend. That's when we got involved. Dateline NBC. We started an investigation. And what we found? It has to be heard to be believed. But Lori's life has changed drastically in the recent past. Her third husband died suddenly. Her fourth husband was shot to death by her protective brother. And Lori's new husband, Chad, himself a recent widower, claims God has assigned him the task of determining who will be saved during the second coming. My siblings are gone. Charles is gone. Alex is gone. Chad's wife is gone. The kids are missing. How much worse can you can it get? Dateline NBC's newest podcast is Mommy Doomsday. Keith Morrison picks up where he left off with The Thing About Pam, applying his unique reporting style to a true crime mystery. Where are Lori's missing children? Why have so many people around her suddenly died? And how does her religious cult focused on the apocalypse have anything to do with this? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first few episodes of Mommy Doomsday. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes. Kevin Flynn. Yeah. We listen to the thing about Pam. Mm -hmm. And I know that Toby doesn't quite get the whole Keith Morrison dateline thing. Right. But this is, you know, another story brought to us by this team. And it is, you have to admit, a very interesting story. The crime is really interesting. Yes. Mm. Uh, definitely. Wait, I'm being Keith Morrison now. Really? Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think it gets better, and by it getting better, I think we learn more about the crime and get more into it the longer this goes on. I mean, by the end of the fourth episode, I'm like, oh, okay, wow, this is this is really interesting. I think it was a little hard to follow a lot, especially the first episode. There was a lot going on with really? different people. There's a lot of people coming in, sort of telling, you know, s sort of all this prologue kind of stuff. I don't know. I have some issues with the podcast, but I think the crime itself is one worth telling. 
I'm going to tell you, I completely disagree with that. I think it's been very clear. We'll get to that later. Laura Bricker, Keith Morrison, here we are again. He leans into being Keith Morrison. He's not afraid to do that. We do hear him in this podcast interviewing people, and he just has that voice. But then he's also not afraid to say, like, huh, really? <laughs> in the middle of his narration. I mean, I'm going to show my cards. I fucking love it. But Lori's duty and privilege wasn't only to select good people, saved people, no. She also had to root out evil. And that's when this story gets even darker. Hard to imagine, I know. How do you feel about the Keith Morrison-ness of this whole thing? I'm laughing because I'm seeing Toby shake his head, and I love, I would listen to Keith Morrison read the phone book. Seriously, his delivery and just the way that he can make, like, anything sound suspicious, it keeps me listening because he'll be like, so, then, well, (laughs) and it's like, hmm, and just everything he does, I just laugh at as I, but it's also like, just it keeps you engaged and it also kind of makes the story like you feel like somebody is telling you a naughty story the way he's narrating because of all these little sound effects that he does. And I think it works well in podcast form because it's definitely somebody that you're listening to and you're paying attention to. I mean, there's some things like I had a hard time. Certain times characters came back and I was like, wasn't quite sure who people were. But the narrating by Keith Morrison, I love. Like, seriously, I want him to narrate my life. Now, there is a thing in the first episode where he says this story is about religious fervor. It's about missing kids and zombies. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed that as Lori got closer to Chad, more and more people in her life became zombies. Or so Chad and Lori decreed. And these zombies... They could be eliminated. Now, Toby, you have to admit, the story actually is pretty wild in this podcast, right? Yeah, no, it's 100% wild. And like you were saying, I like the way that they start off, at least the first couple, and especially the first one, it's like, in this podcast, we're going to go to Hawaii, you know? This story takes us to lazy beaches in Kauai, the desert in Arizona, a frostbitten pet cemetery, and to a small church group with wild and dangerous beliefs. It's not like a quick start. Yeah. Right? So I think the fact that they've kind of teased that there's going to be other stuff coming up is helpful in kind of getting you through the beginning. I'm sort of on the fence. There's a lot of people and their relationships are a little bit weird. Yeah. Like at one point, somebody's described as being both this girl's aunt and her grandmother or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and we'll explain it later. And I was like, well, why don't you explain it now? Because (laughs) this is like leaving me with a lot of questions that I feel like I'd rather just not have to think about in five minutes. (laughs) But that happens a bunch of times. I mean, I found myself thinking, like, I would always ask a question, like, why was Charles picking up the kids for school when last I heard he and Lori had gotten back together? But then like five minutes later, it would be like, oh, by the way, since we last heard from them, they separated. Like, I do feel like there were some TV conventions where it was like teaser, a thing in the future. And then you have to go back and explain that thing. Is that what you're talking about, Toby? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, again, I think I had the same thing with the thing about Pam, which is, it feels like some of these things would work better if you were had something to look at. Yeah. You know, that would like refresh your memory about who people are and you might be able to get some visual cues about about timing of different things. And so I feel like maybe sometimes that trips them up a little bit hmm. or maybe it's just tripping me up. I don't know. Yeah, Toby's right. I mean, I think that's the thing that they're not signposting that part of it well. We're on TV. Yeah, you, you will recognize the face and then you'll get the context. You don't always get that with a voice, especially if you haven't heard from that particular person in 10 or 15 minutes. So I think that is a and, – and this is produced by two television producers – uh, not two podcast producers at NBC. I feel like that is a TV error. Hmm. I disagree. I mean, I honestly feel like this podcast, it's for me the audio version of watching a Dateline episode, which I know isn't for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But there are some Dateline episodes that even though you may be like, oh my God, the presentation of this is over the top and it's cheesy. 
I found myself, I was listening to episode one and two with my 18-year-old son. We were like doing a college visit with masks on where we couldn't actually tour the college just to drive by stuff. So we were listening to this podcast and I just kept saying like, what are you doing, Lori? (laughs) What are you doing, Melanie? Do you really believe in zombies? Like, I found myself doing that thing you do where you shout at the TV, like in a kind of cheeky way. I don't know. It it worked for me, I think, formatically a little bit more than it worked for you. But Kevin, you found Keith Morrison to be more subdued in this than in the thing about Pink? Yeah, look, I I think that this doesn't have the same kind of quirky, fun feeling that the thing about Pam did. Well, it's a crime against kids, which is probably more difficult to do that quirky, fun thing around. Yeah, I mean, not just kids, but yes, um, he seems a little more subdued. His narration is still colorful. It's not so elastic as it was with um, Thing About Pam. It's The format of it is, is pretty straightforward as far as the way they're doing It's pretty much soundbite narration, soundbite narration, which is how you would put together a TV package. Yep. But, you know, the soul of this podcast is a TV show. It's, you know, there's never going to be any root talk. We're, we're never going to, like, uh, follow Keith Morrison, you know, uh, into... Uh, Under somebody's house, digging in the soil. Yeah, we, we do get a lot of Keith Morrison, though, probably more so in this factor than when, you know, this eventual TV episode comes out. The interview cuts are a little longer, yeah. and you hear more of him interacting. It's more investigative, It's right? a little more intimate than yeah. I th- with... If he, those interactions with him are more intimate in this one than the other podcast and probably most of the TV shows because they're usually quick things. You might hear him ask a question and just get that sound bite. You know, and that's like instead of it being a 10 second thing, it ends up being like in you know, the 25, 30 seconds. So you hear a little more of him. He's still a little performative when he's doing that, like being surprised at something that he absolutely already knew. Yeah. Oh, so a dead man's Jeep. Uh, you or, know. or sometimes he'll say something like, well, you've said before that yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he knows it's going to. I think you feel you get a, I think I get a, I think I understand a little more about Keith Morrison after listening to him talk to people. But it isn't just it isn't like the super quirky thing like the other podcast. But don't you feel like too they show more that they are doing journalism in this? They they yeah. say like this person has never talked to any a journalist before. We've been investigating this for I feel like like the journalism you have to remember that dateline producers, yes, they're very often taking a story that's already been done and figuring out how to how to do it for TV, but sometimes they're also just doing the story. Because they're mm-hmm. also journalists. Yeah. It feels that more that way to me. Laura, I want to talk about the story a little bit. Uh, we talk about Lori, and there are a lot of red flags that kind of go up at the beginning of this episode. That's Lori. <laughs> Not Lori. Lori. Yeah, uh, and a lot of it has to do with this family, Lori and her what third husband or four who was Charles or fourth or her fourth mm-hmm. moving around a lot sort of following you know beliefs following things did that throw up red flags for you when you heard about the transient nature of this woman and this family yes so I, I think I was I was thinking as I was listening to this anytime you hear about somebody getting into some sort of religion and that religion taking on like this much larger role in their life and then the person moving around to follow that religion. You know, I'm thinking of some experiences that somebody I know had with someone in their family. The husband and wife got really into this religion, and then their church wasn't strict enough. So they followed somebody to another area where somebody was going to start a church in their basement. And then the next thing you know, like the women had to walk behind the men and you weren't allowed to dance. But it's like when you hear about that transient nature and that moving, like it's like they're following after something. They're trying to find something. And that sort of instability in their life, to me— especially hearing this case when you hear how much Lori is moving around, was definitely a red flag. Now, Toby, we hear from Lori's son, Colby. He's a big voice in the podcast. And in the early part of the podcast, he talks about his closeness with his mom. You hear about them growing up and he was an only child and they were really good friends. But then it becomes clear later in the episodes that he is talking about his mom in the past tense as if he's lost her. That is like a familiar narrative that we've dealt with before with other things we've talked about, right? Yeah, I thought, so this is like one of the things I liked about this podcast is this, it's like almost like a subplot sort of, I guess if it was fiction, you'd call it a subplot. But like his part of the story really seems to be about losing a family member to a cult, essentially. Yeah. 
So while the rest of it is largely true crime and the cult is seen as, you know, an element in that crime situation, what you're getting from him seems more of a domestic drama or something. I mean, it's, you know, this guy loses his mom to these bizarre religious things. And the only thing I'll say about what, what, what Laura was saying is... I agree with her. I think that the thing that all these people I think can can say is this is like almost the way almost all religions start, right? Is that all the, all religions generally start with like a small group of people following somebody around. Yeah. Podcast like the, too. Yeah. Podcast too. Disillusionment like, with your previous thing and then doing a new version of that thing, right? Yeah, but it's like the Mormons, for instance, just because uh, you know, reading under the banner of heaven is like they just continually are moving west because they they have to yeah i thought i thought the whole colby thing was interesting i thought it added a little more depth to your understanding of laurie and you're not getting just like this two-dimensional sort of going from being you know a contestant for mrs texas to being the mistress of some guy who thinks he's deciding who's going to heaven or whatever it is he thinks he's doing. So, Toby, I want to ask you a follow-up question to that, because we hear about this woman, Melanie, not the cousin Melanie, but Lori's friend, Melanie, who was also a follower of Chad, who believed in, initially, the things that Chad was talking about, about, you know, people turning into zombies, about that the world was definitely going to end in 2019 and therefore it was okay to do all of these things that they're planning on doing, recruiting these 144,000 people to be there during the end times or whatever. It becomes pretty clear in the podcast that Melanie is no longer there, but she's talking about it and she's knowledgeable enough to talk about it like as if she were there. Like, do you feel like you're hearing from a former cult member or do you feel like you're hearing from somebody who may still have one foot in it? Because I found myself asking that question a lot listening to her. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like that guy who was on uh, who was on the thing about Heaven's Gate, who was sitting in a chair by himself in a field. Yes. Where, <laughs> you know, he's able to talk about his experiences and 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 have some perspective on it while still sort of retaining at least an understanding of why hmm. she she believed the way she did. But, you know, I think the other thing was that it was clear that Chad, he was putting a move on Lori. You think? You know? And, uh, <laughs> and so it's like- We've been married together 17 times in past Mel- Melanie, you know, you're not quite as attractive and you had 13 past lives. <laughs> On the other hand, Lori <laughs> has had 43, and 17 of them, we were married. And another couple of them, she was married to saints. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, so, she was a swimsuit model do, do in all you, of do them. Do you think the fact that she was attractive, like she's described over and over again in this as being very attractive. like Toned arms, man. It's that, right? It's good looking for her age. Miss no, but Texas. It's, yeah. it's that, right? Mrs. Texas. I mean, this is why he clearly like homed in on her. Like It's because she was hot, right? There's nothing else that stands out. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, you're looking at this through the Dateline lens or whatever, but they're basically putting her forward as this very attractive woman who's had these things happen to her, and now this guy says they've been married 17 times in past lives. But she also but. is a character, Lara, in that she seems to kind of be a chameleon. Her fourth husband, Charles, is... I think pretty clearly murdered by her brother Alex in mm-hmm. this really weirdly concocted thing where his parents just assert like he was ambushed. But we hear earlier Charles's visit with the cops where he says she's been drawn in by this cult. She needs a psych evaluation. She's turned into a different person. She believes in zombies, all this stuff. And then we hear the tapes of her and she sounds fine. Like, what do you think of that, Laura? I think that was just so telling, that interview with the police where, you know, you listen to him and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this poor guy, because you know, I mean, going into this, how this story is going to end. And when you're hearing the tape where he's trying to get help, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope somebody believes him. And then you hear the tape of her with the police, with her daughter, and they're like joking around. And before you know it, the police are telling her how to get out of a psyche valve and like giving her tips like, well, I'm not allowed to say anything, but here's what you should do. And I have to wonder, I mean, just somebody that is that 
able to turn it on and off because it was pretty clear that she was believing all of this past life, zombie, all that other stuff. But to know how to hide that in that situation, I mean, it was very telling. And I was listening to that as things progressed, obviously, in the story, wondering, how do those police feel now? That guy who, like, gave her the tip who's like, yeah. you know, because she was really good. And and she passed the psych eval. I couldn't, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. Lori did end up submitting to a psych evaluation. And she passed with flying colors. But did you ever think she wouldn't? Lori walked out of that psych ward with a clean bill of health. And nobody listened to Charles. Kevin, I have two quick questions for you. Yeah. Does Nick Schneider sound like the name of the most evil spirit on the planet? <laughs> no. What about Nick Oprah Schneider. Winfrey? <laughs> what about Oprah Winfrey? Do you think she has the darkest soul of anybody on the planet? No, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny that people think that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Oh, Oprah's cool. Well, listen, we don't like the fact that she brought Dr. Oz no, to, yeah. to the front and all those yeah, quacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't necessarily think she's, a, she's the Nick darkest. Nick Schneider, huh? Nick Schneider. What a name. Say, wasn't he the uh, superintendent on one day at a time? <laughs> That's all I could think the of. The giant key ring. Now, Kevin, before we wrap it up, you have to admit, like, the story here is very compelling. Like, it's clear that there are knowns and unknowns still, right? Well, I mean, unless you know what happens. I mean, let me tell you something. Yeah. Fully, like, being honest with you, I Googled this a little, and I realized, spoiler alert, that some elements of this are still up in the air, right? You mean t- as of today? Yes, real- as of today. IRL? Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, there are. There are. Because th- there are a couple of big things along the way where a husband dies and then another husband dies and then, you know, we can't. It- the-, the way the podcast is progressing, they're, you know, knocking them out one by one. So you don't, if you're a newspaper article, you'd read the first two paragraphs and get all the you stuff going who, on. You know all the people who are dead. Yeah, so they're being, you know, very. Um, parsimonious with the way they are dealing out the different details. So they're serving it like a dessert where you just get a little spoonful and then have to ask for seconds? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Mommy Doomsday? It is the latest podcast from NBC, the team at Dateline. And I think Neon Hum was involved in this too. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Mommy Doomsday? I'm going to go with thumbs up. I, I love Keith Morrison. I like this better than the one that we listened to where Josh Mankiewicz was the narrator because Keith Morrison, his voice is just, um, he's so entertaining to listen to. And also, one of the things I loved about this, the Dateline producers actually found this woman in Hawaii when she was on the run and like walked up to her on the street, which is like, that's like my dream right there. Oh my God, I would <laughs> love to have done that. So just based on that, I think this is a really interesting story. It's one that I followed uh, when it was unfolding. I didn't know all of this background. So it's it's definitely, it's an engaging story. All the right people are there because it's Dateline. And I would listen to Keith Morrison read the phone book. So that's my review. Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Mommy Doomsday. So what kind of drives me nuts about this is Keith Morrison. And I've kind of <laughs> like gotten used to some aspects of him. But he does his thing. And, and there's nothing like the worst writing advice in the entire world is show, don't tell. But I will say that I think in podcasts, you don't, you shouldn't be telling people what they should feel about things. Like mm. I think the really good podcast bring you around to understanding things well enough that you you can decide how you feel on on your own. And there is so many like little asides that he does during this really? that are signposting you about it's like strange. Not <laughs> um, the way I would behave in that situation. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine like Amber Hunt or something? Like when she was interviewing those two guys who used to work at the nuclear power plant who were like, "Uh, you know, leave me alone or whatever. And they cut away and she was just like, weird. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just like not, it's, it's just not what I expect from like top quality true crime podcast. So, you know, I'll give it a thumbs up, uh, but I do think it's. You know, I'm it's so happy it, about that. I'm sorry. It just kind of dumbs it down for people. I mean, you know, just you don't you don't have to do that. It, it's it, maybe it works on TV. Maybe it's like kind of campy, but 
I think it detracts, but the story is, the story is pretty wild and, uh, you know, they've got good interviews and all that stuff. So can't give it a thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I can't give it a thumbs down, but I'm only going thumb sideways because oh. I can't really give it a thumbs up. God damn if it. If you are a Keith Morrison fan, I think you'll probably like it. Uh, it's a different kind of performance. I, I think that, you know, Dateline does have a podcast, which is just the audio track. Which is brilliant. And so <laughs> if they want to do something, pull it out and make it really more of a featurey podcast, Keith Morrison be Keith Morrison. Uh, in this case, I just, you know, this, this I, 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 the good parts are that the story is good and I, I enjoy the interviews. I think I get more out of like the real Keith Morrison listening to those interviews, although they are performative, I know, but it just feels a little more, uh, podcast intimacy in that as opposed to everything else, which is just kind of TV-ish. Otherwise it ends up being a fairly basic podcast. So I'm just going thumb sideways. All right. So I am thumbs up on this podcast. I love it. And I am like a little bit embarrassed because I don't, I mean, I'll be real. I don't watch Dateline. Like mm-hmm. I love listening to a date with Dateline because I love hearing Dateline through that lens of like people who do love it and talk about it in a funny way. I don't watch it. I don't like love that brand of true crime journalism and that sort of taking work that someone else did and making it for TV and doing like all the interviews and recreations and the (gasps) moments. But that being said, I know this is a dark story with a lot of dark stuff happening in it. But when I listen to something like this, it's the only time I genuinely understand the people who say that they're, quote, like addicted to true crime. Mm -hmm. Like I find it for some reason, like it draws me in and I find myself talking back when it's on in a way that I don't do typically with media where I'm like, what? Jesus, Alex, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, like I find myself doing that in a way that is, yes, it's campy. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement. While another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. But if I am doing that, like they're doing something right. So for that reason alone, like the entertainment that I feel listening to this and the like I'm dying for episode five, which I very rarely feel when I have to listen to something for work. Like I have to give this a thumbs up. I can't help it. I really love Mommy Doomsday. The name is weird. Love the podcast. Thumbs up for me. I 100% will not be listening to episode five. (laughs) I will. I will. So, Kevin, here we are in the business section of the podcast. Business section. How did that music go? Like this. Yeah, hear that? Yeah. So, Kevin, we're going to do something that we always forget to do in this part of the podcast. In the business section? What is happening on our other podcast, these are their stories, the Law and Order podcast this week. We always forget to promote that on the show, and it's yeah. so good. And this week is special. Right. Well, Rebecca and I are going to be talking about 
the uh, SVU episode with uh, Sarah Hyland, where she is a smart student and takes just too many study pills and kills her roommate so she can be number one at the school. And our, our special guest? Our special guest is Lily Flynn. Yes. Yeah. So it's she's a hilarious. Family, family affair. She she didn't just like come on and say. Daddy, can you put me on the podcast? Nope. She actually never asked. She brought something. She went and she decided, if this is what my parents are doing, she started from episode one. Of SVU. SVU, and she just binged like 10 or 11 seasons. Yep. And wow. She was prepared. She was prepared. So I said, you got to come on. Kevin, who have been some of our other recent guests on these other stories? Like, to incentivize people to listen. It's funny. It's cool. Yeah, we had uh, Janet Varney was oh, on very she was recently. so great. Tara Ariano. And uh, Big Ron. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of some of the other folks that we've had. We've had great guests. From Slate. Who was the... Jamila Lemieux. Yes. My former co-host and Mom and Dad are Fighting. Yes, we've had some really great folks there. Anyway, you should listen to these other stories on our podcast. It's really fun. Kevin, what is going on on our Patreon right now? Well, we also have the Crime Writers on After Show that we you can do? listen to. Yeah, we're going to... It's in your feed right now, folks. And we're going to be talking a little more about... Scandi Noir. Why we love it. Why we love it. What makes good Scandi Noir and other European TV shows that we might be uh, checking out right now. Recommending. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast is out, and uh, they were looking at a book called The Five. Yeah. And my two favorite quotes from that podcast are where Toby Ball says, I'm not an expert on syphilis. Uh, it's contextual. Congratulations, you know, Toby. Yeah, I don't recall that, but well, that's, that's it's a good still thing, accurate. Toby. Yeah, Toby. What are what, what venereal disease are you an expert in? Uh, yeah, I specialize 100% in chlamydia. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, and I think it was uh, Lauren Bright Pacheco, who's uh, from uh, Murder in Oregon. Yeah, she's great. I think she was the one who made a, a recommendation that maybe for you know for the summer. Toby could do, you know, some books that are a little lighter. Syphilis tourism. And I think Toby also said something along the lines of, people don't come to the deep dive for the uplifting books. (laughs) Yeah, not for the laughs. Um, And then Claire Clark, who's the other guest, she's a specialist in uh, Victorian crime fiction. Yes. So she brings the Are we going to do the Queen Quunks on uh, the deep dive? We're going to do some sort of like Victorian crime fiction historical? Never mind. Go ahead, Kevin. Queen Quunks? What is Queen Quunks? Quunks. It's this like 2,000 page book that I read. It's like Sounds dirty. It's a whole thing. Sounds like a profanity. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's a whole thing. Kevin, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Of course we do. Our Patreon on patron saints are Stacy Jones and Nicole Brushel. Bless you. Bless you guys. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Kevin, where can people go to support us on Patreon and get the four extra podcasts that we make there? Yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And we're going to be doing a live Mary with podcast again soon, right? Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, we'll be taking your relationship questions. Cannot wait. All right, Kevin, should we end the business section now? It's time to get back to the fun section. I'm going to fade that music out. Moving on. In 2017, Danish police received a missing persons complaint about a Swedish journalist last seen departing with a man in his homemade submarine. When the suspect scuttles the sub and says he buried Kim Vall somewhere at sea after an accident, Jens Muljar Jensen's team takes on the impossible task of scouring the ocean to disprove the man's story. The six-part Danish-language series The Investigation, now on HBO, is a dramatic take on one of Scandinavia's most bizarre crimes. It focuses on the cops, divers, and volunteers working the case and conspicuously removes any references to the actual suspect. Are the makers able to take that famously atmospheric style of Scandi Noir and apply it to a more conventional docudrama? Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for the first few episodes of the investigation. So to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now, Laura Bricker, if you're looking for an action packed, a lot of things happen every episode show. This is not the show for you. Am I right? (laughs) Uh, You are right. But it is sort of soothing to go along at the pace of the investigation. I love it. It's also, I have to say, one of the things I got really into these shows probably last April. 
And having to watch subtitles and actually pay attention and put your phone down is also very soothing. Now, Toby Jens, Kevin, what's the actor's name who plays Jens? Uh, it's Soren Malin. Now, he played one of our favorite characters on one of our favorite shows, Borgen. Right. And he is the protagonist here, but we don't see him doing things that protagonists do in a lot of series like this. Like, he's not the one who's coming up with leads. He's not the one who's chasing clues. It's a lot of just him, like, staring. Right, Toby? Yes. I mean, it's sort of, he's a bureaucrat, kind of, you know? I mean, he's making sure everything's running well, getting people to the right places, making sure the right resources are being put towards different efforts. I mean, He's more of a manager than sort of a, a master of sleuthing. Yeah, and, and should, I should just interject here that unlike with Netflix for these uh, international language programs, there is no English dub available Good. on HBO. There shouldn't be. And I know that some people have complained that they, you know, they can't really do the subtitles for whatever reason. So, uh, you're, unfortunately, you're out of luck. I do enjoy Soren Malling in his other roles, like in Borgen and whatnot, but I'm really not sure what to make of him here because it's a lot of him just kind of like standing with his hands in his pocket. Can I ask right? you a question? Yeah. Would he not play Toby Ball in the Swedish version or Danish version? <laughs> he absolutely would. Of the of our podcast, if it were a Scandi Noir show, like he would play Toby. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. my God. Look, I get that he's playing like the quiet guy and he's not, you know, they're not like creating like the, you know, you can't handle the truth uh, <laughs> uh, detective who's going to like. He's not Elliot Stable. Yeah, he's not going to like slam his fist down and stuff like that. But this performance combined with this sort of style of, you know, these long shots and passages where nothing, you know, that's very quiet and not a lot happens. You know, it just the way he acts by not acting I like him, but it's not really working here. I think if he, I think if you watched Moneyball, Brad Pitt does a lot of the same stuff. He has a lot of stuff where he's just thinking, or a George Clooney movie, a lot of stuff where he's just thinking. But he's still the persona of those actors. Still, you can see them thinking, or they're there. It just kind of seems like he's not engaged in what's going on around him. I disagree. I really well. You would be wrong. I got to tell you, there was a shot in this series that was literally two minutes of watching a dog lie on a boat, and the whole time I was like, "I'm super in." Like, why are we watching this dog lying in the boat? It's lugubrious in a way that I appreciate. I think he's playing into that. Mm -hmm. But Toby, there's a conscious choice made here in this story that I don't think we've seen in anything we've ever covered before, especially something based on a true thing where we see none of the action of the crime. We see none of it. And they never mention the suspect's name ever, even though it's based on a real person. And almost all of the action takes place off screen, even when they find body parts in the ocean. We are actually on the ocean with the divers, and we don't see them find the body parts. Toby, what do you think of this decision to make everything happen off screen? So I've got a couple reactions. Um, one is just to the idea of not really acknowledging who the killer is and stuff. You know, for the most part, I think it works well. It is a little weird that they show there are a couple of interview scenes that they have with people who aren't the killer. And the killer does get interviewed, but you hear about it sort of secondhand. That's a little weird, but it wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. But as far as everything that's happening kind of off screen, what I take away from it, at least so far, it's really, it's the institution that's that's solving this crime, right? I mean, it's not sort of genius deduction or anything like that. I mean, there's some interesting stuff about how smells get transmitted through water so dogs can smell them and tides and winds and stuff like that, which, which is kind of interesting and, and takes some brain power. But for the most part, it's really about we're going to go through the motions of doing this investigation. And just by being dogged, we will turn up stuff and just wear things down. There's no point at which it's like, aha, hmm. you know, that is the smoking gun. They know what the smoking gun is. They just need to find it. Like it's not... It's not a revelation. But doesn't, Toby, doesn't the contrast between this criminal justice system in, in uh, Denmark and the American criminal justice system, like, stand out to you? Like, they had a guy who acknowledges a woman died in his presence 
and acknowledges that he cut up her body and threw it off the submarine. And yet they still don't have enough to charge him with murder. Like, isn't that like a huge contrast to kind of what we're used to seeing in terms of these kinds of stories? Oh, yeah, definitely. Almost to the point where it's like, what? (laughs) Like, like like regardless of how she died, the fact that he chopped her up probably deserves some jail time. And it really, I mean, it's just so different from anything that, that you would see on TV here. Yeah. There's no chases. You know, again, he's not exactly an anti- well. He is kind of an anti-hero. You know, I mean, it's it's not it's not like you're really rooting for him at any time. I mean, you're kind of watching him do his thing, and he's, you know, you hope he does well, but he's not a particularly attractive guy with like the way he interacts with his family and stuff. Yeah, sorry, I said he was going to play you, Toby, but I still stand by that. Okay. Uh, Laura Bricker, Toby just said something that I want to ask you about because he just said there are no chases in this show, but there is one. Of course, this is episode four, and it takes basically the whole episode where the cops and the divers are looking for this woman's head. In a whole ocean, like a huge expanse of water. And it's all about sort of how dogs smell from currents and dogs smell from wind. And they do all these experiments. And there's this whole thing. The whole first half of the episode is they think they know how to do it. And that doesn't work. And then they think they have another way to do it. And that doesn't work. And then they have a way to do it that it works. And that's literally one development that takes a whole episode to do. What did you think about that, Laura? Um, I will say, I don't know if you guys heard me yelling when they finally found the body parts in relief because I was like, <laughs> are they ever going to find something? But, I, you know, I think what I thought was effective about that episode is I really took away just the intensity and dedication and doggedness of this investigation because I was feeling the frustration and this just like, oh my God, just like, are they ever going to find something? And watching them out there and, you know, even just the angle and the way that they filmed out on the water, like you were bobbing around on these Zodiac boats at the same way they were and seeing the waters they're going into, which were not exactly flat, these waters they were diving into. Or warm. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, there, and and I was, the whole time I'm thinking, I can't imagine anybody around here or like going to this level to find the evidence for such a long period of time to the point where they call in the current expert who just like zips over on his research boat and he's like, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. And I've done some calculations and away they go. Um, But I think it was effective. And I I just want to say about the dogs, I I have some things to say. Dogs, there was some good dog portrayal in this entire show. We have the dog who's never wrong when they're out on the water. And and we see (laughs) this like, it's like some sort of a spaniel, um, brown and white dog. And he's like, what's wrong with your dog? My dog is never wrong. And then Jens has two dogs who he just like walks off into the night with. And I'm like, where is Jens going? Why doesn't he have a flashlight? And he and- takes them like skeet shooting and hunting and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Dogs got to pee. <laughs> and he's like, I'm taking the dogs on a walk. And I'm like, you're going to get killed, Jens. And then um, we have um, the victim's parents, their dog. I mean, there's a lot of good dog scenery in this show, I have to say. They really is a lot of good dogs. Dogs and phone calls. A lot of phone calls. (laughs) Yeah. Kevin, what do you think about the lugubrious nature of this show? Well, it is a real slow burn as far as the action. I understand that that's the style they're going. And just because you could could take these hour-long episodes and edit them down to 15 minutes doesn't necessarily mean you should because that isn't what they're going for. I do wonder like how I would enjoy it if it were, you know, a little tighter as far as, you know, the editing of these different scenes and taking out stuff that's probably not needed. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, somebody said, like, hey, this sushi is great. I wonder if it would taste good fried, this fish. <laughs> and yeah, it probably does, but that's sort of not the purpose of it. And I think, you know, the long silences and the sort of nothing happening and kind of looking out and saying, yeah, I guess this is a really difficult job for you divers. Okay, see you tomorrow. You know what I kept thinking about? What? The Lizzie Marriott case, which we wrote about. Oh, yeah. In which a woman's body was thrown out onto a uh, the Piscataqua River, which has very strong tides, which draw it out into the ocean. And yeah. basically here in America, in New Hampshire, 
they were like, oh, yeah, we're never going to find that unless it like comes back. When I was watching this, I was like, you can like find a body in the middle of an Mm -hmm. ocean if you like just bring a smart dog. I mean, Kevin, did you think of that at all? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> well, yeah. And then those guys that were like lined up, those volunteers that were just yes. going back and forth with their big sticks. And I'm like, we never see something like that. Well, I think their murder rates are fairly low, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean there's I probably not a whole people. lot of murder investigations. That's true. Laura, did you know homemade submarines were a thing? I did not. And I, that was the part in the beginning of this that was really, they're like, she went out on the homemade submarine. And I'm like, yes. what? The homemade submarine. But when they pulled it up out of the water, it looked a lot more impressive than I thought it was going to based on that description. Yeah. If you look at the real case, I mean, the guy was like an, it's like an eccentric. I mean, it's sort of like a, a low rent Elon Musk type who like made things like he wasn't just like a guy with a homemade submarine. He was considered to be this like big brain. Right, Toby? Like that was the real story as far as I remember it. This is a rare thing where I actually followed it while it was going on. Because it just it was it was weird. Like yeah. the, I, I was I was reading it in the Guardian, and uh, like there were like this Swedish journalist disappeared on this weird Danish guy's homemade sub. I was like, come again. Yeah. And so I kind of followed it through the days and, and until they found her and stuff. It's weird. But Rebecca, don't you feel as a viewer you're missing something by not being given any information about the accused? Yes. Yeah, especially if something... If, <laughs> I, I mean, do. I'm also not getting enough uh, Pilu... I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he played Casper Yule in Borgen, and he was also in Game was, of Thrones. He was Euron Greyjoy. We, Ev- we know him as Evil Pacey. Evil Pacey, yeah. yeah. I'm also yeah. missing him. He's in too few scenes a lot the that I'm missing The prosecutor, we haven't here. gotten yes. to him yet. Yes. But I feel like I feel, I feel like that the decision... I mean, it was a purposeful decision right from the get-go yeah. that they were not going to put the accused... In the frame, it all uses name, show and act, or anything like that. And while well, it's, you know, in a way, um, you know, the thing that we say, oh, you don't want to glorify it's yeah. victim focused. The question ends up being again, who are you betraying? Are right. you betraying your audience by not telling them that part of the story, giving them that context? Or would you be betraying the family of the victim and their feelings if they had to hear again the name of the person yeah. that killed them? So, I, you know, I, I don't know. Would a happy medium been to have fictionalized this a little bit more so that it would have been like a little bit more? Well, no, I mean, I, I don't think that that's what they're going for. Yeah. I mean, I think they just like said, no, we're just not going to have we're just going to refer to him as the accused and tell you nothing more about him. So that's how they wanted to play it. I think that kind of makes it like almost like this very pure procedural yeah. Where, you know, it really is. It's just the investigation. There, there's really nothing else. The only sort of sense of the humanity of anybody involved in the actual crime is through the parents and their interaction with Jens. Which is who the investigators would know. The investigators wouldn't know the, right. the, the accused and they wouldn't see what actually happened like normally happens. Now, Joby, before I wrap it up, there is one sort of very hackneyed trope that happens in this show where the cop uh, who is obsessed with the investigation is also just not a great family man because he's just very caught up. What do you think of that? I it's it's just mind-bendingly annoying. It's got to be true I, though, right? Because they're making everything else. I mean, do you think it might be true? And that's why. It was but included? who gives a fuck? You know, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I, I I really like maybe there's somebody who's like, well, I you know, it really like rounds out his character. It's so cliched. Yeah. Like in something else where I I feel like. Whether you like the pacing or not, or some of the decisions, you know, I, I feel like the the writing's really strong, and I, I feel like they sort of avoid a lot of the pitfalls of the genre. But then just to drop this thing in, I yeah. mean, it's just really, it just seems really unimaginative and you know unnecessary, and just is minutes spent on something that at least I didn't really care at all about. Meanwhile, I do love a thing that uh, we see is the cop who works for Jens. Mm. Uh, is it Malbret? Or I can't Ma-Brit. pronounce Malbret. yes. She is like so pure mm-hmm. that she feels like she has to recuse herself because she doesn't she remind you of Saga from The Bridge, Lara? Yes. Yeah. No, she's she, freaking awesome. You know, when she lost her file folder and she like almost like went into. Yeah. And, and he's like. So you think you have to step off? And then what did he say? Lots of pe- Everybody makes mistakes. Few people talk about them. <laughs> 
All right. And scene. Wow, that was pretty dramatic. <laughs> and then, well, then she picked up her Wait, little no, let's, file. Let's stare and for she five minutes away. first. <laughs> yes. Let's put our hands in our pockets. Let's stare at each other. And look over there. <laughs> and then cut to a, a shot of a dog on a boat that we sit on for two and a half minutes. Let me drive around my car and think about it. <laughs> All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know should they check out the investigation on HBO? Laura Brooker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this Scandi Noir adaptation? for American audiences. So I'm going thumbs up and I'm going to give the caveat that I think, you know, people that haven't watched other shows in this genre are going to be like, what the heck? This is so slow. This is so boring. I can't stand it. Whereas I'm like, this is so soothing. I love it. <laughs> I love that there is no like violence in the police investigation. They're just methodical. They're thoughtful. We've got wonderful scenery. So I, I really enjoyed this. I, you know, yeah, it could have been sped up a little bit. But at the same time, I just thought it was such an interesting case. And I loved all the water shots. Um, I was ready to flip back to my Nordic noir uh, frame of mind. So I'm glad this came along when it did. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the investigation? I, I really like it. I, I, I don't mind the pacing at all. I think it's fine. So many of the U.S. sort of cop things are really sort of personality driven. And it's like the maverick cop or, or you know, the, the really incisive, smart, the mentalist, you know, it's like, it's like always Quincy. It's like these savants or whatever. And I kind of like the fact that this is just really about an institution, like functioning the way it's supposed to. And just by the nature of that, it gets the information it needs in order to, you know, solve the crime or convict the person or whatever. So um, I, I think it, I think it's really, really good and really different. So I give it a, a hearty thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the episodes, but I'm going to go thumb sideways because... <sighs> I just can't see me. I just can't see myself recommending this to other people saying, "Yes, you'll enjoy it." It's just one of the most antiseptic things that you can watch. Now, maybe that's okay. I mean, I think I think very vanilla. I like vanilla, but you know, for a crime drama in the Scandi Noir style that's edgy and violent and atmospheric, well, this is atmospheric, but it really takes sort of nothing from the regional cinema that it's born from. You know, I, I think it kind of pulls the punches when it's talking about the crime. It's great to just make it about the investigation, but I don't know. I just, there's, there's a bit of a cinematic virtue signaling uh, when, when making this. So, but look, I'm enjoying it. So I, I am. You like but it, but you I, can't recommend it? I'm thinking of our listeners, and I can't say, hey, you know, you should stop what you're doing and watch this. I, I feel like maybe other folks would not be pleased. So, All right. So that's why I'm thumbs sideways. Well, listen, I base my reviews on whether or not I liked something, because that's what people tune in for, Kevin. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving this a huge thumbs up, because like Laura, I find the slowness of it perfect. I love that it's antiseptic. I love that it's bureaucratic. I love that we don't really ever see anything happen. It all happens off screen. And I think or it's below the surface. I think it's dark as fuck. Symbolically. I disagree with you that it's not violent and not dark. They literally found a head in a bag. We don't have to see Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.
found it. We didn't see but it. We don't have to see it to know they found a I head. Know. And I and I, I just I think this crime was so awful that even just hearing about it like in the third person is enough. And um, I'm just really, really glad that HBO picked up a thing that we probably would have watched like on Netflix when it became available two years after they made it, if it had just been made. You know what I mean? So huge thumbs up for me for the investigation because I like it. Big thumbs up. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Tennessee lawmakers are pushing back against a bill that would add feminine hygiene products to the list of items that are exempt during its annual tax holiday. For three days each summer, the state suspends sales tax on certain clothing, school supplies and computers. Some wanted to add tampons to that list, but are getting resistance from legislators who, according to Forbes magazine, are worried that women will buy too many tampons. Jesus Christ. One politician who happens to be a doctor seems to fear that with no purchase limit on tampons, Tennessee's 1.8 million women of menstruating age will be unable to control themselves and load up on our shameful moonblood products to deprive the state of that sweet, sweet Tampax money. Seems the non-menstruating lawmakers are more comfortable providing tax breaks to neckties, bowling shirts, and cowboy hats without worry of consumer It is estimated that at 7%, a year's supply of tampons generates less than eight bucks in sales tax. Meanwhile, we call on the wives of these legislators to extract our revenge by sending their husbands out to purchase their tampons and maxi pads because 100% they'll come home with the wrong thing. So, panel, we can again thank men for foiling this plot to save 70 cents on sanitary products. And yes, we will say it. This is sexist as fuck. But, Laura Bricker, what do you think the women of Tennessee were going to do with all of those extra tampons that they were planning to hoard? Oh, boy. that The possibilities are endless. So I have <laughs> two, two answers. Uh, well, Ken and I were eating dinner tonight. I asked him, and he said, oh. <laughs> he said, they're really good for nosebleeds. Yes. Yeah. And he said, we learned in the ambulance, use them for a nosebleed. And then I looked up and I was like, well, what else could you use tampons for? Apparently, you can make them into pom-poms. So, <laughs> so they were going to start a fight club. They were going to be like, woo, yeah. woo, woo. I don't know who they were going to be cheering for, but tampon pom-poms. I mean, there you go. So, Tommy Ball, despite the incredible sexism and misogyny of these legislators, what do you think these women were going to do with all of these tampons that they were going to be hoarding? Uh, put them in frappuccinos. Kevin <laughs> <laughs> Flynn, what do you think? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow Christmas tree ornaments. Oh, I was thinking maybe like build a tampon snowman. Oh. Do you want to build a yeah, snowman? Yeah, like, like like Christmas <laughs> decorations, just put them all over the lawn, you know, or maybe make build a Dolly Parton statue out of them because, you know, she Do doesn't want a statue on them. you use a tampon? <laughs> All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat. We've had some dogs. We've had the hedgehog. It was time to go back to cats. Uh, Lauren Horsch sent in. Hi, Lauren. Yes, and I love this. Lauren is a longtime listener. I always love when longtime listeners sound in like this. And Lurker, finally getting up the courage to nominate Arthur for cat of the week. Arthur. Arthur is a white cat. She sent me some pictures. Actually, they're in our Facebook discussion group. Arthur came to us from the mean streets, really the storm drains of Durham, North Carolina, more than a year after the frequent front porch feedings. So they were feeding him for a year. He's been living with us in some capacity for probably close to six months. Last week, he got to see the vet for the first time to get all of his shots, tests, neutering. uh, He got the snip snip. He's a cranky, rambunctious cat that wakes her up exactly at 545 every morning so he can get his breakfast. He has brought she and her husband so much joy during the pandemic. He's officially an indoor cat after he tested positive for FIV. That's not like chlamydia that my cat had. It's another cat disease. Um, But that hasn't stopped him from trying to break out to fight the giant possum that has been visiting them. The possum is also pictured. So They're um, so creepy, those possums. Yeah, and Arthur, there's a picture of Arthur. He's sniffing some wine, so I can can appreciate that. So good job, Arthur. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks are maybe not brave enough to go to our Facebook discussion group or email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com and just want to tweet you their cats or dogs or iguanas to be cat of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. 
And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, I listened to your Strange Arrivals podcast about UFOs, and I believe, Toby, you are wrong. How can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> uh, they can pick that argument at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and tell you how much they also enjoy your Bing Crosby sweater, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you really to join our amazing community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We have a regular old Facebook page, and there's a button there to join the group. If you answer even one question, we will let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the crime writers on after show married with podcast Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcast and Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we give each other long, plaintive looks while contemplating a murder case. Talk. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I was telling Laura how Toby, how you and I have become like friends now. Oh, yeah. It's we, weird. we talk on the phone <laughs> and shit. And what's so great... <laughs> I love it. I don't know why I never became friends with Toby before because he's fucking awesome. Um, Laura, I feel like you and I have been friends for a while. Like we text and shit. So Toby and I talked about something on the phone last week and then we talked again today. He texted me yesterday and he's like, do you five minutes to talk? And I was upset that I didn't because I wanted to talk to my friend Toby so badly. (laughs) And 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 then he was like, it'll only take five minutes. And I was like, are you quitting? And he's like, no, that would take seven minutes. Partners in Crime Media. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.